Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome to Mile High Hockey Lab. Mile High Hockey Lab. Hello and welcome to Mile High Hockey Lab, a podcast brought to you by MileHighHockey.com. My name is Adrian Hernandez. I am your host. On today's episode, lab number two, we have a new host, someone that you will see here and there from time to time when he decides to drop in with us. Jacob Windling, why don't you tell us a little about yourself, brother? Uh, so it's, uh, it's windling, but that's okay. It's the most common what a, mis- what mispronunciation. A, wow. Yeah. This oh, guy. No. Already, no, you're all, you're all <laughs> yeah. to, that's how everybody introduces me. You're it's, <laughs> it's part for the course. Um, I grew up in, uh, Denver. So born and bred avalanche fan. Uh, when I was eight years old was when they moved to Denver and my, uh, family got season tickets to them. So I went to just tons of games in the nineties. Uh, went back east for college and lived in Boston for about a decade. Uh, UMass Amherst is, is where I went. And so when Kale McCarr showed up, that was like a just a big old jolt to my Colorado Avalanche fandom. And now this is just, you know, living the dream, basically. All hail Kale. <laughs> Go UMass tonight. Sorry to you fans. Should touch on the ring ceremony and, and the banner night. So we'll start with you, Evan. Tell me a little bit about what you think about how um, the Avalanche organization handled celebrating the cup on night number one. Well, I mean, this was my first banner raising night. I was not, not around for 1996 or 2001. So, you know, I can't really speak from what happened back then, but, you know, at least I thought it was amazing. It was so, so awesome. I mean, really just a cool, surreal experience. I mean, as you can see, you know, down here, at least Jacob is at least under me in our Zoom call. <laughs> uh, the banner was raised and, you know, just singing all the small things, Mark Hoppus. I mean, it, w- it was amazing. I loved it. It was awesome. Uh, you know, my even though I'm a broke college student, my wallet still hates me for going <laughs> to the game, but it was, it was awesome. It was something, you, you know, you couldn't miss it. So um, just happy that it happened and that, you know, the game afterwards, you know, went, went well too. Yeah. And I had an absolute blast that night too, is if you can tell my, my voice is still a little bit hoarse from screaming at the top of my (laughs) lungs when they were raising that banner. Um, So I'll move on to you, Ezra. If you had to pick what was your favorite moment of how all of that went? Oh, I mean, it's, it's hard to pick because the, the rings are so cool and seeing them come out is, is incredible, but the, just like the palpable joy in the, in the arena came through watching it on TV uh, when the banner was going up. So that's hard to beat. That's, uh, that's pretty cool. The whole, you know, everyone (laughs) celebrating together like that is pretty amazing. Yeah. And what did you guys think of Landeskog inviting Johnson out off the bench and out of the Chicago locker room to watch the banner go up with his teammates? What did you, uh, what did you think of that? 
that's beautiful yeah, yeah. and i mean the the imagery of like you know all these red and blue sweaters standing around the banner and then you have the one white sweater you know yeah. off, off to the side like that's just, <laughs> it's just like really cool visuals that they were they were able to put together with that uh, it's something you can't really beat to be honest like mm-hmm. if if you could have written it it's kind of how you would have written it and i think it speaks to just how close they all were as a group of of men trying to achieve one goal it's like even when you know night number one the home opener is an important game you got to win and i think i mean the abs were probably pretty comfortable even before the game started thinking that they would secure the victory but at the same time you know like nazem kadri left the group chat with no freebies and just left the group chat so it's like these guys when when it's between the whistles like they got to get back to work and all of is lost so i thought it meant and showed that the group was like very very close um and i think that's probably true about most cup winning teams but i do think that this team in particular was probably uniquely close based on the dichotomy of what they went through together throughout their careers as individuals um what it was your takeaway from the game um itself jacob um i mean pretty much what we expected right like that whole first period i thought the first line was just like a whole a force of nature i mean it's, it seemed like they spent the entire first period in, in chicago's zone and it that game was just the clearest example of you know the the trends that these these two teams are on where you know the abs are are the the cup favorite and chicago is you know selling everything that isn't bolted down and some stuff that is bolted down to try to get the number one pick and everything that's bolted down and not i love it that's a great way to put it and you're i think like you you're totally right and at one point it kind of felt like the abs were kind of playing with their food a little bit um so <laughs> i i totally agree with you i think it was just kind of like one of those things where we kind of knew the outcome heading into everything so evan let's talk a little bit about the ring ceremony and the display that they got the rings with the box and the video and the music and the voiceover from Connor McGahee. What did you think of those? Epic. I mean, first off, shout out Connor McGahee. Yeah. Awesome dude. Great, great voice, great voice over the airwaves. Great. You know, that his voice in that radio call in that, in those final seconds, they did it. They did it. It's just beautiful. It was remarkable. And I, I mean, the ring in there itself was like twelve thousand dollars, <laughs> if not more. You know, at least it was twelve thousand on the on the Avs website when they were selling them. You know, I went and looked. I was never going to buy them, but I was. I I, I explored. Uh, and, you, your wallet uh, was looking at you like, yeah, right, bro. You're <laughs> oh, you're not that guy. That, that you're not that guy, pal. Nah, but I mean, point being that not only is it worth a lot obviously financially but it is also worth so much when it comes to the experience and remembering and the memories that came from that run and you know the the ring ceremony a couple nights before opening night and then opening night itself is the end of it is the quote-unquote end of that memory right Um, you know it it kind of wraps it all up in a bow and i think that only kind of encourages the abs to do the exact same thing again this year. 
Yeah, and did you notice, it, to me, it looked like when Landeskog kissed the cup, when he put it down after skating it around the arena, it looked more like a goodbye for now, my sweet princess. Yeah, I'll see you soon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was, and, and it's funny to me because it's gotten to the point now where as a group and like among lead, the leadership of the Avs, they're so predictable, but in, in an awesome way. Like last year throughout the playoffs – they were getting prodded like they had been by Vegas years before. And McKinnon would just get up and have zero reaction. And I think like that's what you wanted to see from this group going into the playoffs was this maturity and resolve that comes as a result of losing, to be honest with you, and, and losing in emotional ways. Um, and so, yeah, I thought... I thought that that was really cool. And what did you guys think last night of Kadri being delivered his ring um, by Nathan McKinnon and Jared Bednar and company? Yeah, that was really cool. You know, it, all the all the you know snapshots like the abs were tweeting out. You know, a, a generic face off between McKinnon and Kadri, right. just like everything last night was just like pull, tugging at the heartstrings. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, oh man, like this is it was bittersweet, is how I w- would define it. The like very happy for this guy you know you get to relive the the memories you know one of the greatest overtime goals in the history of the colorado avalanche franchise you know the whole nine yards with him but he's you know he is a self-described enemy he left the group chat right, said yeah. no freedoms so like you know there's a part of you that's like all right game on now Screw yeah exactly well and that's that was my thing like with my family my brothers and my dad are big fans as well and i you know they're not quite Obviously, they don't host podcasts, so they're not quite as as like involved with the day to day stuff of the Avalanche. But they all were like, "Oh man, this sucks!" Because I know I'm gonna hate him. Like it's gonna mm. take, especially if we play them in the playoffs, which is a pretty oh, pretty man. viable possibility. That is gonna get heated quickly, and it's almost gonna be more heated because he was an avalanche. I don't even think he's going to play. He would play against the in Bruins, pardon my French with the kind of tenacity <laughs> he'll play the avalanche um, going forward for the rest of his career. Cause I think he's kind of put that chapter behind him successfully by winning the cup with Colorado. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. well, and, Oh, I mean, you figure that he's probably feeling a little slighted too. Yeah. You know, that's kind of how he's he's motivated his, himself his whole career is, you know, these guys are doubting me. These guys are doubting me. And, you know, he said all, all the right things about the abs organization and I, I believe him, but at the same time, you know, they didn't want to pay him what he thought he was worth. Yeah. There's probably part of him that's a little upset about For that. For sure. And if you think about um, how, and Ezra, maybe you can speak a little bit on this, but how do you think he felt given that Nachushkin and Lekkinen were seemingly prioritized pretty quickly in the offseason in comparison to maybe working with Kadri? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I, I think uh, 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 Jacob's right on with, with the slight. Uh, that's a perfect word because he, he has motivated himself that way before. And I think we saw it last night in Calgary. He was up to his old tricks. He ran into our goalie, he, uh, drew some penalties by embellishing. He was doing his thing, you know, and, and I, I love Nas. And obviously as a, as a fan of the abs, when he's on the abs, all those, all those things are beautiful, but uh, watching it the other, on the other side, I'm like, Hmm, I kind of, yeah. Kind of get where the blues are yeah. going. <laughs> uh, yeah, Sheesh. right. Isn't that something? But, uh, huh? It's funny how the it sure world is. Works but you know, way. he's like he's he's definitely uh, as much as you can look at the roster and understand. Like, okay, yeah, they needed to spend some money on the wings because center depth is already there. 
Um, nobody can, nobody's going to say, but nobody who's a professional hockey player isn't going to say, except for me though, they should pay me though. They should want me. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I'm sure he's motivated by that. Yeah. And there's no way, no matter what Kadri does, I'll have more disdain for him than I do Jordan Bennington. So I think he's going to be oh, on yeah. it. No, yeah. <laughs> of course. Kadri's yeah. achieved a, a little sense of royalty in, in Colorado. I think so. Like, yeah. It's hard, it's hard to envision us ever fully turning on him. So tell no. me this. If it's one of those situations where Kadri leaves and then go goes on to win cups, with other teams or maybe even multiple cups with one team, say Calgary, for example, that happens. Do you think that that mm-hmm. will stay the case because of the story with the St. Louis series and all of that? Or do you think the more success he has elsewhere, the less, uh, the more will be like the ugly ex, you know, like, will that be us if they, if he has a better career going forward? Or do you think that he'll always kind of have, will be his first kind of vibe? I mean, I think it depends on how that happens because it's like, you know, say the abs get knocked out by the wild or something and then he beats the wild. We'll be rooting for yeah, exactly. over that. Yeah. But, you know, if he scores three game winning goals in a seven game series against the abs, we're going to feel a little bit differently. Yeah. About him, right? Yeah. And so will he, I'm sure, after the likely vitriol he'll get in return from abs nation. So, yeah, that, I, I thought it was really cool that despite um you know, they had a game and they didn't go the abs way. And clearly the abs didn't have their legs early. I thought it was cool that Bednar and McKinnon still did their thing and went and showed him his ring, gave it to him in prison. And you could tell even among in that video, um, even among them, they still have a mutual respect that kind of goes unspoken. And I think at the end of the day, that's what winning the cup's all about. Yeah, I was creating these bonds with people that you just look at them and you have this unspoken achievement together and you go into the future knowing that and it gives you a little bit more confidence. So I was really excited. I thought the Avs absolutely crushed. I didn't think like they took it too far. I didn't think we got like anything cheesy or corny. I think they took care of business. They put the banner where it was supposed to go. I loved that they didn't do what some teams do, which is hang it above the ice for the game. And then when you come to mm. the next game, it's in its designated spot. I thought it was quite a WWE style trick to put that thing from the ice into its designated mm-hmm. spot. That was pretty sweet. So congratulations again to the champs, the 2022 champs, which brings us to our poll, which I thought was kind of a fun poll. This was before we had any hockey to talk about. <laughs> So I was like, how can I uh, come up with something fun to talk about? So here is that the poll of the week says Banner Night is just as sleep away as it was then. Which championship team would win a round robin? The 96 champs, the 01 champs, or the 2022 champs? Evan, we'll start with you. Who do you, who gets your vote? Yeah, I voted I voted 2022 and the sole reason was because they have a person named Kale McCarr yeah. on their team. That was my main reasoning behind that. Um when you have a defenseman who has helped kind of morph what is now known as today's defenseman where you jump into the play and you have these offensive traits along with a stellar defensive record, you know, sorry but the 96 champs and the 01 champs they don't have that capability and you know that comes with obviously the change in you know where hockey has gone to nowadays it's not the same 
you know, nitty gritty, you're going to get a, a brawl, you know, at the end of every single game or your benches clearing or something like that. You know, that's, it's not like that anymore. So I think, I think, you know, just Kale McCarr would just be the main difference there in winning that round robin for the 2022 champs. Okay. And I, I would agree with you. I would wonder one thing though, is could everything you just said about Kale McCarr also be said about Patrick Waugh and his impact in between the pipes? Because if you think about it in 01, he as great of a team as they were, which they were a very good and deep team. There were a lot of games, especially in the playoffs where Waugh absolutely saved them. Um, Ezra, Maybe you can speak a little bit about that, and and moreover, what kind of matchups would be presented to us in the event that these three teams would play, and which one would have yeah. your eye the most? Man, I mean, the Patrick Wall question is a great one because he he obviously is amazing and or was amazing, uh, and uh, and and had the ability to to change a game just you know from the goal. Which uh, Darcy Kemper was good, pa- Pavel Frances was good, but they're not that guy, obviously. Um, but Frankly, like if they played with modern rules, I don't think there's any chance 01 or 96 would hang with the, with 22. Like the, the speed that these guys play with, everything. I mean, watching the 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 top lines match up, I think there would be that would be like an honest competition. But then lines two through four are just going to smoke the old right. Guys. And then there's the two line pass rule, right? Which is yeah, you're going to be able to stretch the ice in a way that those guys were never had to be prepared for, which is like yeah. what weaponizes something or someone like Kale McCarr or Nathan McKinnon. We saw it last night. I mean, I don't think Gorgiev thought he was going to find McKinnon racing up this boards and get an assist, but that's exactly what happened. And all he did was dump it out of the zone. And back in the day, that would have been considered oh, yeah. a pass and it would have been not viable so yeah that's a great point you you talk about the rules um and you know jacob you tell me who who's getting the better of this matchup we'll say we'll we'll put forward a a hypothetical rule set uh we're in the clutch and grab era when who wins this matchup landis gog versus forsberg uh, so if we're in the clutch and grab era, I'm going to give the slight edge to 2001 Avs just because like a guy like Adam Foote knew every single tri- trick to pull <laughs> yeah. in the clutch and grab era. And right. so like Ezra, I think you bring up a good point about the the rules era where like Adam Foote is a number one defenseman in the clutch and grab era. But right now, absolutely not. Like there's no not way that he, like, Sorry, yeah, <laughs> like he'd get, he'd get roasted. Like he'd be in the penalty yeah. box, like, you know, two times. There's Nate Gannon nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I do think that like if these two teams were to match up, just generally, I still give a slight edge to 2001 team. Um, you know, 538 last year, actually, I think it was their ELO rating uh, found that the 2022 team paced a little bit ahead of the 2001 team. But interesting that 2001 team had just gone to war with the Red Wings right. for like five or six years. Like you get, you know, those two teams inside the crucible of the playoffs. And I just think that 2001 team, you know, you have Ray Bork chasing the cup too. It, they just have, they've got more metal. They've got more, more experience. And then you add that, you know, clutching and grabbing is, is legal. I think that that, that 2001 team just edges out right. 2022. And what's funny too, mm-hmm. is like, I don't think this is in any way disrespectful to the 96 team that they're so low in this i think it shows that they were kind of uh and this isn't again not a a slight to them but circumstances kind of paved the way for them 
uh, in facing Florida in the final, I think that played a big role. Um, and, you know, they were a great team as well. But I think it's almost like if the 2022 Avs would have actually won in 2019, that's what the 96 Avs feel like to the 2001 Avs. Like they were baby Avs mm -hmm. and they still pulled it off. And I think the stars were aligned in a way that really benefited them to do so. Whereas in 2001, they were like grizzled veteran um, had seen it all in terms of their core and they had been through, like you mentioned so much in facing the red wings um, and in, in the playoffs with other rivalries, like the stars at the time um, that it just kind of all came together and they were that really, really good elite legendary avalanche team. Like yeah, the plus like that 2001 team had Ray Bork and Rob Blake. Right. So like, that's, you know, yeah. the four, the forward groups, when you compare them, they're are pretty comparable. Like, you know, Claude Lemieux turned into Mario Lemieux in the, in the playoffs, uh, <laughs> back, you know, back in the nineties. Right. And so like you go through the forward comps in 96 and 2001 are, are similar defense. It's not even a contest between those two teams. Yeah, And another interesting thing to think about is the salary cap, because in 01 and 96, I don't think technically there was a salary cap. Oh, no. uh, how do there you were just four teams spending more than anybody yeah, so else if that were true like it is about baseball still in hockey now how do you think that that would have changed the landscape of like modern day hockey do you think we would have seen like a carolina hurricanes win the cup or you know like that's that's another interesting thing and if we're as passionate about it now as we were then would we be spending on a proportionate basis now and what would those contracts look like, do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting because it's all like relative to TV deals. Right. So like, you know, we all, we all know the cap is going to skyrocket in like two or three years once this ESPN money really starts to, to kick in. Mm -hmm. But like in the 90s, it really just seemed like, you know, if you got like the right kind of rich guy because it was so cheap on a relative basis for, you know, for the, the big boys, like, you know, Colorado is not considered a, a huge market. There's no reason they should be spending out spending, you know, like the Rangers or the Kings every year. Right. But for the most part, they did in the 90s just because like it was so easy back then to come in and spend a bunch of money. That makes sense. And and Ezra, if you think about it, too, that might like the TV deal thing. I don't imagine the Avs would be getting a lot of like no offense to the altitude folks, but they can't even get their programs on every <laughs> cable. You know what I'm saying? Every cable yeah. subscription. So, yeah, that we might not be celebrating a third Stanley Cup had things not changed, despite the fact that I think we did benefit from there not being a cap when we did have Pierre Lacroix, because I think he was one of the few owners who was willing to like fork it over, and, or excuse me, GMs who was willing to fork it over and find money in places to fork over to this to the team to make them competitive especially when they were competing with the red wings and the red wings were doing the same exact thing so i think this discussion when you when you really have it it always just comes back to two basic things what rules are they playing and yeah. who's between the pipes because i think wall really does bring a kicker to I, I think I mean you could have McKinnon skating at 27 miles an hour coming towards Waugh and I'm not saying Waugh and McKinnon one-on-one -on -one. Waugh wins I'm not going to go that far because they're so far no apart way. generationally and talent wise I will say though that if Waugh had the tools at his disposal that McKinnon and developmental tools 
I think they would be close still based on their personality types. And that's why the rules matter and the era matters for this conversation. So I generally the 2022 champs make sense to me. And I think I agree with the fans on that vote. So I think we all do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's so hard mm. to compare across eras, but I gen, genuinely, I think like any 2022 playoff team would destroy any 2001 playoff right, team. Just based on like yeah. physical abilities and how yeah, all the players goes. are just so much faster and better. Right. Yeah. yeah so like all sports arguments in this, I have a friend who says that it's the Barney Stinson theory where it's just new is always better. Right. When yeah. it comes to yeah. sports, like nutrition's better. Like everybody's working out better. Like, you know, you yeah, go back to like the seventies, people were taking smoke breaks and intermissions. Yeah. Do like. you think anybody <laughs> was skating north of 25 miles an hour in the 1960s? No. Yeah, like no way. Oh, right. McKinnon. Sixties, absolutely not. Nineties, yeah. definitely not. Definitely. I mean, yeah. Law was yeah. like the first goalie who like dropped down. Like they were still figuring out how to play hockey the butterfly, until like the nineteen. Yeah. 19- exactly. so. yeah, they went a hundred years without thinking like, oh, I could cover the whole bottom of the pads <laughs> <laughs> fit along the ice really well. That's a great point. We're gonna have a whole segment on why did it take so long for goalies to realize that they should be putting their pads on the ice. We'll go goalie by goalie and yeah, say why that one's that's stupid. So funny. That's so funny. Evan, what do you think? Sackick or McKinnon? Head to head. God, that's a really hard debate. I mean it's it, okay, how about this? The, they're the on they're not on a regulation sized rink. They're on like this this super small it's like a phone booth and they just have to stick handle around each other. Who wins? What? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to make to it score? fair because McKinnon's <laughs> just gonna skate around my beloved Joe Sack. I mean, that, that's, that's, that's true, what I was, yeah. that's what I was going to say is that again, it's the same thing. New is better. If you're going to have, if you're going to compare the two, but I mean, if, if you stick them in a phone booth, then, yeah. you know, I would, I might give it to Sackett then, Sackett then at that point, yeah. you know, I, I guess it's a bad he, in a phone booth. Can you even hold a hockey stick? Like <laughs> he's, he is is an ass legend for a reason. And it's the release, I think, I, I think, think he would work better in those tighter scenarios than maybe mckinnon would but it's again that's such a hard comparison and and kind of stepping back to to the talk of of the the cap era and if there was no cap um kind of getting back to that because i had this idea pop in my mind um vegas might be two-time champs right if, yeah if it wasn't for that already Good point, um mm. with the amount of cap hindrance i don't know if that's the best word to use but the cap play that they'll that they'll use every once in a while uh you know they would use it to their advantage and you know maybe it would have kept a couple more pieces together from that inaugural team that did make that cup run you know to the final um to then you know not blow it against san jose in game seven and make it past montreal last couple years ago so I don't know, but that part that that is not abs related, but that was also yeah, something I, that I think that's up. an interesting point because like they're almost acting as if there is no cap in <laughs> Vegas. Just oh yeah, we'll take on that contract. We'll find a way to trade in a very, very, very controversial way, like eight million dollars away somehow next year. That's kind of funny. They are almost like the opposite of the avalanche the avs just go to the market and they're like who who has been just like underappreciated press probably pretty good but has never really gotten a look and then that's who the avalanche pick up and vegas is just like 
who's really good and who can we not afford? Let's go get <laughs> that guy. And somehow they make it happen every time. So I wouldn't honestly be surprised in our round table. I did predict that the Avs and the Knights would meet again in the playoffs. And mm. I stand by that. And I think that that will probably be really good for the Avalanche in terms of mindset and kind of like, not that they need anything more than the cup to like incentivize, but back to back, you're going to need like little nuggets that get you going when you kind of don't want to go. And I think like a rematch with Vegas could really propel momentum in the playoffs. So I don't know. That's just what I think. Speaking though of playoff teams, well, potential playoff teams, we're going to bring Thomas Williams in. And Thomas is, he was actually our, what would you say, working editor for a while there. Um, very, very good guy. We're super happy to have him on. He's from Hockey Wilderness SB Nation, the Minnesota Wild website. Thomas, how you doing, brother? Thanks for coming on. Hey, good. Can you guys hear me all right? Oh, yeah. You're loud and clear. Perfect. Just testing a new setup. Um, yeah, doing well. How about you guys? We're doing great, man. Thank you so much for coming on with us. And thank you again for all your help uh, over the last <laughs> couple months and year. It's been much appreciated. You kind of got us on a good path. And here we are. We're happy to talk hockey with you. I'll start and I'll just ask you. Uh, the Wild, uh, a lot of people see them as contenders this year. Um, what's your, how do you feel about that? Do you agree? Yeah, it, it, I think it comes to a point because if you want to like describe a contender as someone like a top five team in the league, then I wouldn't say that. But if it would be someone that can make a decent run and can kind of surprise, um, they have to win a and win a playoff series first um but they as someone like that can just kind of provide that little spark and maybe in a playoff series against maybe a, a worse opponent or if they get a good position or whatever then they could kind of make a decent run and be that annoying team in the playoffs if they don't crumble around it but um yeah like i feel like they'll still be a a hard out to get basically right. but i don't think that they'll be someone that you go into a series against a top team be like okay well this is like decided or anything gotcha so you think that like reasonably speaking they're definitely a playoff team but what comes next is kind of to be seen sort of vibe yeah 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 exactly yeah so that that makes sense to me and along with kind of the dynamic of this team and how they how they'll find success comes the matt dumba situation and i think ezra had a question for you regarding that yeah. Hi, Thomas. Um, I, I was wondering what you think is going to happen with Matt Dumba because, you know, he's he's up for uh, uh, a contract extension if they want to keep him around or maybe they ship him off. What do you think happens? So I think this will definitely be his last year with the Wild. Um, it'll be it's just a matter of one cap because he again, like you said, he'll be a free agent this summer um, and also prospects is like they have several defenseman prospects that are pretty much ready like brock favor okay. big 10 top defenseman of uh top defensive player last year mm-hmm. will probably be turning pro this spring um kaylin addison is has made the team full time and he's playing on the bottom pairing so he could go in that right side immediately um and then you have guys like carson lambos ryan o'work like there's just like a, a list of um 
players that kind of they drafted and developed for the blue line specifically and kind of with this in mind. Um, whether or not he finishes the season with the Wild is still to be determined, and I feel like it will be up until the trade deadline. Um, basically, what if they feel they're confident with Addison and if they can get a decent replacement for the bottom pair or anything like that, um, and if they can get a decent like trade for him, because again, you're losing one of your core guys that has been there since 2012. Like you're right. you're losing someone that has seen the last de- decade as like someone within the organization and it's it'd be tough to go but it's basically you try to recoup assets or whatever and play that game and do whatever you want but again at the end of the day it's still losing a huge part of your leadership core like he's wearing the a right now and he has been for the last couple seasons so um it'll be tough decision but yeah like i feel like no matter what this will be his last year and you see that you see it that way even if the avs are excuse me even if the wild are very successful like say they're competing with the abs for the division do you think that they maybe reassess the situation or is it just he's too big of an asset to get nothing in return and you like you said it's just time you have to move on you ready showtime on may 3rd summer starts with the fall guy let's do it later let's drink a spicy margarita make some bad decisions yes Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Well, it'll be it'll be tough to see where they are. It all depends on Addison's play, if he can take that immediate jump and be in that right. top four D. Um, and then also it depends on if the wild are say contending for the top central spot, then I feel like they'll just keep him and let, let him walk. Right. He's done enough again. Like they, he's been in, involved in trade rumors for so long now. Like the I feel like it's been like four years, like his name has popped up and unsettled here, whatever, whatever. Um, so who knows what he'll get as a rental. And especially looking at last year, what defenseman got his rentals are kind of pretty high prices or surprisingly low. So it's all kind of a mystery. Um, yeah, it, again, it's like, it's tough to say right now right. at the beginning of the season, but I feel like at that time, it'll be a decision that Bill Guerin will have to make. And I feel like the one that he probably will make because he, because I expect the wall to be in the playoff, in the playoff race, in the playoff picture by that time. Right. And because he's also through two expansion drafts now has purposely made moves to keep Dumba. First, it was Alex Tuck moving away to keep Dumba, um, which now is kind of bad. But uh, <laughs> and then and then it was making the like flurry of moves around to around the Kraken draft to keep Dumba right. um, and move out Susie instead. But um, yeah, like he's kept this guy around on purpose. And if he just trades him for like second and a third round pick or something, they'll kind of look yeah. bad on his part. Um, but yeah, so I think I think the more likely scenario depending on team performance and just how Garen's dealt with situations like this is just keep them and then let them walk. 
Gotcha. That makes sense. And, it, and I imagine if the scenario that I described happens, like a guy like Marc-Andre Fleury is going to tell him, come on, bro, let's just buckle up and go for the ride and see what we can do <laughs> yeah. here. And speaking a little bit on Marc-Andre Fleury, Evan had a question about him. So go ahead, Evan. Yeah, I was just I was just thinking, I mean, obviously you got Fleury at the trade deadline last year, um, you know, rumors about retirement or, you know, still kind of been floated around here and there. Even though you have flurry for at least you know this full year, what are you what are you hoping for you know for this full year with him in the net? I, I'm hoping he's good, uh, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, like turn back, honestly, turn back like, the clock a little bit. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Like well, the flurry we saw last year in the wild wasn't the best. Um, I think he finished the regular season with like a nine ten save percent or something like that. Um, yeah, it's not the best. It's not a number one starter for a contending team if you want to label them that. Um, but I feel like if he could kind of know his role and know his position and play that 50 games, and if Philip Gus is in the, the backup that they got in exchange for Talbot um, from the Senders, can kind of bring a little bit of a spark because he's uh, still a young guy, um, then they could kind of depend him on him more. But I feel like Flurry, the baseline is what we saw with the wild and hoping that they outscore the goaltending problems. Um, but also I really hope for more. Um, yeah. Like expectation versus hope is way is different. My expectations that especially seeing him allow seven goals uh, uh, yesterday isn't the best, uh, but, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's right now, maybe it's not, I don't expect the best goaltending performance from Florida. Well, it's, it's, and I think we'll you see. spoke to something that is kind of the whole point of why you bring in like a flurry, which is that his ceiling is almost astronomical. Like at any moment, if you get the best version of Andre, Mark Andre Fleury, you're getting one of the greatest goalies of all time, essentially. So I think like it makes sense for him to still be. Oh, look at Ezra. He's saying, No way, bro. Uh, <laughs> I saw that stink face, Ezra. Come on, bro. Uh, but nonetheless, you're getting a really good goalie. We'll just put it that way, Ezra. But so I think that's yeah, kind of that. that's kind of what you go for when you bring a guy like flurry and and last year towards the end of the regular season and kind of going into the playoffs it was starting to look like the abs and the wild might meet in the playoffs um if certain things were to go uh, a specific way um, and it felt like there was kind of a rekindling to the rivalry that kind of stemmed from a previous playoff series of years back what do you think? Do you think that the rivalry is kind of reborn? And do you think that that's good for both teams? Or how does that work for you? I think, yeah, I think the rivalry has been, I think it's been reborn a little bit in the last couple of years, especially with Kaprizov coming right. um, and kind of seeing as like, okay, the Wild's the, either the number two or um, some even were pegging them to beat out the Avs. I don't know if that's cup hangover or anything in the standings, but um, it. Like, I feel like they're obviously the one and two in the central right now, um, no matter what, how you put it. Um, I still think Wild will be number two, but uh, not to just play favorites with you guys on this podcast. But uh, I'd agree. Yeah, I'd agree. And I don't even yeah. like Wild. That's the safe thing for you to say while you're here. Yeah. Smart, yeah. Smart. yeah. yeah. Um, no, but I think that I think it's just like a rivalry stemming from like these are two very good teams. Um, one obviously has more star power, more flash, more prolonged success um kind of stable success and has always just been hanging around forever 
um, where the other is kind of an up and coming and still kind of a, a lot of question marks. But I feel like you're looking around the central and like who's going to take it from the wall. Like it's not going to be Nashville, Dallas, St. Louis, whatever, like Jets. Like you're not kind of pegging them to beat out those team teams in the standings at, after all 82 games. So, um, yeah, I think it's kind of just a, been a battle and I feel like every game this season will kind of be must watch. Yeah, I agree. And like you mentioned, Kaprizov kind of upped the ante because I think it was more what really lacked from the rivalry itself was like an elite equaled level of talent. And as soon as Kaprizov came to the wild, it was like, oh, okay, this guy's going to make the wild a pretty formidable foe for years to come if they can keep him. Um, so, you know, I just think I would love for this rivalry to continue and escalate, maybe not to the extent that the Red Wings and Avalanche rivalry escalated, but <laughs> I do think it's good for the league and for both franchises uh, to kind of pull people into the fight. Um, and a part of that rivalry now comes the odd and awkward dynamic between Tyson Jost, the Colorado Avalanche fandom, and the Minnesota Wild and how he came and went to the Wild. Jacob, you had a question for Thomas about Tyson Jost. Go ahead. Yeah, I figure, you know, Tyson Jost is one of the more, I'd say, beloved of the Avs young core. Like, there were a lot of people who were really upset when when he was traded. Um, and so I figured it'd be remiss if we didn't ask about, you know, what what would constitute success for Tyson Jost this year? Like, what what are the the expectations for, for his role on this team? Yeah, so right now he's playing um, – in Jordan Greenway's spot on the line that's Joel Erickson, Eck, and Marcus Foligno, kind of like a checking line two-way. was honestly one of the best two-way lines um, in the league for the last couple of years. But um, so he's been kind of playing on the left side a little bit um, and taking that role. And basically it's a top six role. It's technically listed as a third line, but he's basically in the top six by the amount of minutes that they play. Um, but I feel like expectation overall, because I feel when Greenway comes back, he'll be slotted down potentially um maybe actually in the third line or anything like that and I feel like just someone that you kind of depend on to provide offense in the bottom six and not do not be kind of a defensive liability um and and he's he's played well like I I I'm the only thing I'm scared about is with Jost is that if other young players kind of kind of jump over him in the depth chart. Like we have a very kind of similar player in Connor Dewar, um, kind of speedy, fast, good with his stick, but will like is a menace on the four check kind of guy, um, which I'm not sure if that's Joe's game right now, but it's just like, it's, it's other people will kind of jump him. And especially with the influx of young talent, like Boldy and Rossi coming up is that he might take a back seat and honestly might finish the year as a fourth line guy. Like he kind of was with Colorado for a little bit. Um, so I feel like the expectation is really just like anything's icing on the cake. Um, he's here, he's going to be playing a lot of games. He's going to be in the lineup. It's not that he'll be a healthy scratch unless he's create like detrimental to that wild winning games. But I feel like the expectation is very just like a mediocre, not mediocre. That's kind of mean, but like just an average, (laughs) average, like maybe above average player. Like it's not that he'll be like, I don't think we're getting what a lot of wild fans hoped is that when they saw the trade was like, Oh, we're getting a former first round, like a first round pick, all this stuff. He has the skill, blah, blah, blah. But I feel like if they're 
comfortable just getting a guy that is just a very solid player, can play kind of anywhere in the lineup, um, which is basically every wild player ever. Um, <laughs> and then just like, then we're happy. We're, we're fine with that. Um, if he becomes a detrimental, then there's players to replace him. So I feel like no matter what, and Everson will kind of be on top of that. But I feel like they're looking for a spot because especially with Fiala's departure, that was a big thing of like, they were pegging Yo- Jost to kind of take that role. Um, and I don't think that he'll bring the scoring or anything like that. But um, yeah, like there's more opportunity here and we'll kind of see how it plays out. But. Yeah, I think he kind of, suffered from timing with the avalanche a little bit in that the the abs were pretty top heavy in terms of elite talent when they drafted him but at the same time kind of lacked depth um and so i think he based on where he was drafted kind of got thrusted into the i would say even just the roster in general maybe sooner than what was probably best for his development so uh, i i for one love tyson jost next to jt confer he's my he was my favorite av which makes absolutely no sense but hey here we are (laughs) um and so like i i hope and think he might be like one of those late bloomer kind of guys who once the development that he kind of should have gotten in the first three years sets in through experience in the league. I think he will find his way to make an impact, but I totally agree with you. And I think his role is a fourth line guy who's going to be solid on the PK. It's almost like really weird to me that he's so good on the PK, but can be such a liability defensively five on five. Can you maybe speak to why that's possible? How's that possible? Yeah, I'm not sure. Maybe it's just like he really likes the situation of being on the back foot. Like it's just being in that zone and trying to disrupt passes where it's more from a static position other than free flowing five on five hockey where you can't really check hard. Right. That would be not like body to body where you're trying to get in in lanes and stuff. Um, Yeah. Like honestly, it's, it's really interesting. I think Jost is really probably one of like, more interesting players in this wild lineup and kind of looking through the season because we have expectations. We know where everyone else is gonna gonna lie. Um and people will move up the lineup. Boldy and Rossi will obviously get increased roles. Um Boldy with two goals in the first game. Like it, he's already back. He's gonna be crazy this year. But um I feel like with Jost it's it's very very much so that he won't be the primary producer on any line that he's on. Right. He'll be a better player. They'll be He'll either be a second or third kind of guy. Um, but yeah, he'll I feel like he'll move around that lineup because they'll feel like the wild is kind of set up in duos down the lineup. Like there's always the not to go through the whole wild lineup, but like Kirill and Zuccarello, right. Boldy and um Frederick Goudreau right now, and then and then the Duar and Duheim, and then you have Felino and Erickson Eck. And it's just like these duos, and then the three, the third guy kind of around. fills in with yeah. yeah. So I feel like Joseph will be one of those guys in the bottom three lines and kind of just see what he can do um but yeah i like i'm excited to see if with more opportunity how he uh takes it yeah and honestly man like i said i I wish nothing but the best for tyson i I did not like some of the stuff that he kind of ran into after the abs won the cup i thought that was in poor taste and didn't show a good Mm -hmm. side of abs fandom so definitely some deplorable stuff and i don't definitely don't want to make it seem like we don't like tyson jost on this program um and you know i also don't want to make it seem like we don't like you thomas just because you're a wild guy 
Uh, thank you so much for coming on, brother. You're the best. We're going to have you on again. I hope the abs and the wild yeah. are pretty solid competitors. So we'll keep it going and get you back on. Maybe yeah. things will get a little more heated. And, <laughs> yeah. The, the first game of the season next week. I'm sorry if I, uh, chirp you on the Twitter. Account. Please do. So. Cause I have so much fun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right on All Thomas. Right. Thank you so much for joining the program, man. We'll have you on again soon. All right. Have See a good guys. one. It's Thomas. Thanks. So that was Thomas Williams of SB Nation Hockey Wilderness, uh, the Minnesota Wild site. Man, he know he's he's pretty privy with those with those Wild. He knew like the whole lineup just off the top of the noggin. That was pretty impressive. That's why he's the editor. I think over that's there. I think that's kind of a basic requirement for a reporter, you, right? You, you think so? <laughs> I mean, yeah, we should all know the lineup. Okay, so all right, let's test. All right, we'll test. Oh boy, I'm excited. Yeah. To see this. Go, go on, AJ. Okay, well, it just depends. Is this the injury riddled abs or is this the normal abs? <laughs> I mean, I could do both. No, I'm just kidding. I know you're capable. <laughs> I know you're capable. Uh, that was pretty cool, though. Love that guy. He's he's been really good to us, and we we're thankful for that. So, moving on. That was the game of the week, by the way. The Avs and the Minnesota Wild, which is coming up in a few oh, it's days. Gonna it's going to be cool. Kaprizov yeah. and, and the Avs back going at it. So um, let, now that he's gone, maybe we can talk a little bit more candidly about our disdain for the Wild and what we're looking <laughs> forward to um, in that matchup. I'll start with you, Evan. What are you looking forward to when the Avs first play the Wild this year? Yeah, I mean, first off, it's always it's always fun to play the Minnesota Wild. I remember, I remember going to a couple of those 2014, you know, first-round games and hating, hating them with every ounce of me the, the teenager the teenage spirit in me was just like f the wild and absolutely you know is and it's you know it's still it's it's not as heavy as it as it is now it's not as heavy now as it was back then but you know it it's still a great rivalry and i'm simply just looking forward to seeing a, an abs team that is going to be well rested and and going to hopefully be better than they were last night against calgary um yeah because everyone, everyone was also looking forward to last night's game. Um, but, you know, with the Avs arriving to Calgary at 4 a.m. after opening night and raising the banner, you know, emotions were high. <laughs> and yeah. so it was, it was, it was always going to be hard coming into Calgary for their opening night um, and seeing those two teams, you know, kind of live up to the, the hype and expectations that they have. So uh, I think I'm just hoping to kind of see a repeat uh, or not a repeat, but, actually see two good teams play a good right. game of hockey um so i'd say it's a repeat because be that, hap- that happened and... a lot last year towards the end of the season they we saw two really good teams just kind of going back and forth and i think even the Avs in in towards the end of the regular season when they lost like four straight one of them was to the wild in overtime um on some on a pretty controversial call whatever but yeah i, I mean I totally agree with you too about like Calgary maybe being more of a potential rival, especially because, and I didn't really notice this until I saw him absolutely flatten. I knew this, but I didn't remember it until I saw Nikita Zadorov absolutely flatten Cogliano. So there's like a, mm-hmm. another piece to why there may be some disdain coming from Calgary back towards Colorado in Nikita Zadorov. Ezra, what do you think? Do you think that? the flames are a more have a potential to be a stronger rival rival than the wild or do you think they're pretty neck and neck 
I think I think the Wild will end up being the bigger rival just because they're in division, right? And um, and there's that history there already for the fan bases. With Calgary, though, I mean Calgary's the stronger opponent, I think. Yeah. And they play a bigger game too, so I feel like. But if you're if we're gonna look at for like you know like some actual animosity on the ice between the players, I think we'll see that more from Calgary Avalanche matchups. But as far as from the fan base goes. I don't think there's any bigger rival than the Wild. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to put it. Like you'll you'll probably see emotions come more to a head in an Avalanche Calgary matchup than you will yeah. in a Wild Avalanche matchup. But like you said, the level of competition is probably more there too. But the, the... I mean, last night we saw like there there was a there was this play where uh, Newhook was kind of down over the puck and Blake Coleman was coming in there trying to poke it out. Uh, and it was just like, he was just basically slashing oh, yeah. new hook in the face and like the ref came and talked to him. And I mean, that kind of stuff that builds up. Oh, yeah. They're not going to forget that. It looked like that scene on goon where he's like stopping the puck with his face at the <laughs> post. Yeah. I was like, Holy yeah. crap. Like, ow, ow, stop doing that. That doesn't yeah. make any sense. Yeah. I totally agree with you. And Thomas, our Thomas, geez. Oh, he, Thomas is gone. Hi, Thomas. Jacob, I'm sorry. Uh, Jacob, tell me, like, you're a diehard fan. That's your picture of the banners that's behind you, like, from your seats. From your perspective, who do you who do you want to see them beat more, the Wild or the Flames? I mean, it's always going to be the Wild. Right. This is, you know, the, the rivalry ebbs and flows because the teams ebb and flow, but the hatred never wanes. Right. Like, this is the team that ended Patrick Waugh's <laughs> career. Like, from that moment on, like, even before we got to – you know, the epic playoff series with the, you know, baby Duchesne and McKinnon, right. They were, they were, you know, they basically, they're the bridge between the Red Wings. That's, that's really like what their, their function is, is once the Avs Red Wings rivalry ended, like that was really what sprung up in its place. Um, I do think Calgary has potential to be more heated just because like you have the Zadorov angle, you have the, the Kadri angle. They also have, you know, players like Milan Lucic, who is one of the easiest people to in hate. the world to hate. <laughs> uh, He's got on one top of those of it, faces. Yeah. Plus like on top of it, the, the way the playoffs are structured, they would play the flames in a Western conference final, right. whereas they'd meet the wild before. And so like, a flame series has the, has the potential to have much higher stakes than, than a wild series. And so like, you know, now it's the wild, but say in the next three years, they see the flames twice in the Western conference final, we might be singing a different tune at that yeah. point. And, and interestingly mm-hmm. enough, I don't think like last year coming through the playoffs, the way the abs did was like that easy per se, but I think compared to what they would likely face, if things kind of settle the way we all think it will now, getting out of the division and getting into the Western conference final should prove to be a lot more difficult this season, just based on the teams that we might run into. Like you said, it could very well be like Nashville who's going to get better. And they were already pretty good last year, despite us just running right through them. Um, They're going to get better. And that's a probable first round matchup again. And then if you get wild in the second round and then Calgary in the Western conference, that's, pretty much the gauntlet of the mm-hmm. west right now so i think I put dallas in there too right yeah i was gonna like, say i think dallas has potential to be sneaky good this they've year they've got the they, they have the potential of the best goalie in the western conference right. that's right that's a good point that's a good because you gotta love robertson that guy's great yeah they uh they they have like sneaky the, they're always gonna have a problem because they have those two big contracts and those dudes are not producing 
to the yeah, level yeah. of their contracts with ben Jimmy Ben and Sagan. Yeah. yeah. So that's always going to be their they lost Klingberg too. Yeah. Klingberg was an interesting yeah. one too. So they're going to have a tough time. I feel like they're going to be a lot like the Blackhawks in like two or three years where they're just going to have to buy everybody out and say like, all right, screw it. Let's just go. I kind of like losing Klingberg for them though. Like I think Klingberg's a good player for sure, but he's so uh, his defensive game is okay, but he's so like offensive minded and they already have high skin in for that play, uh, power play role. I think they're going to be better off with somebody who plays defense a little bit better than yeah. him. Yeah, I, somebody has to step up and take those minutes. Of course. I don't know who it is exactly, but they might be better off and matchup yeah, matchup wise. I, I think you're right. Yeah. Matchup wise. If you're wanting to beat the Avs, I don't think like Edmonton kind of proved like you're not really going to outscore the Avs. You can try, mm-hmm. but you're not going to do it. You really are going to have to beat them the hardest way, which is what Tampa tried to do and probably got the closest to successfully doing. But, like, yeah, I, I see a team like Dallas or Calgary more fitting that model, too, in terms of just being able to, like, play solid defense and have good goalkeeping. Um, that's that's an interesting thing to think about. So, you know, we talked a little bit about Nazem Kadri and how it seems inevitable that we'll have some disdain for him based on where he ended up. Did any of that seep into your psyche last night or was it all just kind of like sunshines and rainbows still? And I'll start with you, Ev. Uh, I would say it was more so the latter. I mean, I, I don't think he was standing. I don't think he stood out that much last night. I think that partially might have had to do with the fact that the Avs overall didn't look great. Right. And Kadri is, I mean, that, that is still his first game, you know, as a flame. So, you know, he's, he might still be adjusting to Calgary and, you know, that new system. Um, I still think he got an assist though, if I'm not mistaken, but uh, I mean, he, he didn't look too noticeable and, you know, wasn't, I, I don't think he was, you know, super great, but I, I think, you know, as time goes on, he will get, he will continue to get better and, you know, work well with his new teammates and things like that. And there's obviously a lot of uh, weight and expectations on his shoulders, you know, coming in to replace, you know, Johnny Goudreau and, and Kachuk. And I mean, those are 200 point players that are now gone. Kadri is, well, I don't think he's definitely, he's not, he's not going to be a hundred point player. Let's be real. But he's at least going to have to try and fill some he's sort better, of He better be at least a 60-point player with the money he's making yeah. or else Calgary is going to turn on him pretty quickly. He's going to be the Russell Wilson of this, <laughs> of Calgary pretty quickly. So, uh, yeah. And I don't think that that's going to happen. I think not only is he good, but he was smart in that he went from one really talented team to another really talented team. So he's not going to have to like carry the load for Calgary. If he had gone – anywhere else pretty much he would have probably been like a 1c and in this scenario he can slot you know back and forth between that and still be on the power play much like he was with the abs they basically are just paying him to do exactly what he was doing but for them and not the avalanche so i think i think you're right like i think it'll start to show itself the more those games are competitive like last night's game wasn't all that competitive if and when calgary and colorado meet in Colorado, 
you'd expect there to be a tribute video and all that sort of stuff too. Oh yeah. And Ezra, Absolutely. tell me tell me a little bit. What do you think we can expect when Kadri comes back to town from Avalanche fans? Do you think he'll get the royal treatment or do you think Oh yeah. Yeah, I, I think hope so too. So. I mean he should. He definitely should. He was such a big part of the team. There like some of his his comments like leaving the group chat and stuff like that maybe drew some animosity from the fans, but I don't think anyone should let that get in their heads too much. It's, it's all in good fun. And, and man, what a, what a great guy to have on the team last year. And, and what an asset he was in the playoff run. You got to celebrate him. Yeah. And, and I think like, if you, if you actually liked Nazem Kadri, you know that the whole no freebies and leaving the group text is right on brand and it should just stoke your love for him and Jacob tell yeah, me that's why we love yeah him. exactly so tell me tell me a little bit about that like what do you think even the guys who are still in the team do you think that they had like a chuckle when he sent that text oh yeah for sure but it, you know it's that's the the nature of a friendly competition right. that like you know it's one thing when you're you know you like Alex play pickup basketball you go to the court play some random people you'll be competitive but your friends show up you want to beat your friends like there that gives you a little bit of extra gear and so like that's how I would imagine the the cadre dynamic is with the avalanche right now where like they're real friendly but as soon as they get on the ice it is going to be very serious because they do not want to lose to each other exactly and you know I've more along the lines of like a group chat can you imagine if there was a group chat when Patrick Waugh left the Canadians Oh, <laughs> do you think <laughs> you think he would have sounded off on that thing and then said yeah. bye au revoir <laughs> it, 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 oh my goodness i think so those texts would have been uh impossible to show on tv yeah exactly <laughs> somebody that was some serious dirt well fellas this has been an awesome episode thank you guys for joining me again uh we're gonna do it again next week next uh i'm not sure we're gonna do it friday or saturday i'll have to talk with you guys we might have to change the date uh, just for the week. I do have some family stuff. But thank you folks so much for watching. Uh, this is the Mile High Hockey Lab. My name's Adrian. I'm here with Evan, Ezra, and Jacob. We are from milehighhockey.com. Thank you folks so much for listening. Please smash that subscribe button. I think next week we're going to come at you from YouTube rather than Twitch. Sorry, Twitch. Don't cut our stream right now. <laughs> we uh we just think it might be a better place uh for everybody to access the program so we'll be sending out that youtube link next week be sure to follow us on social media and thank you folks so much for watching and thank you guys for joining me